Hello, this is Michael Zuber, and I wanted to thank you for choosing to spend a little time with One Rental at a Time. My life's mission is to help investors close 1 million rental properties. In order to tackle this crazy goal, I will need your help. If you like this episode or any of the content we produce, please share it on social media. If you get one of my books or perhaps one of our 500 cards, please take a selfie and tag One Rental at a Time. Now on with the show. Good morning, good afternoon, ORAT Nation. This is Dan Bird, Sunday afternoon, February 12th. I am <clears throat> sitting in on my own since uh, Mike Zuber is out of the country. Hope everyone is having a great week. I've got a, quite a few things to cover and hopefully I'll have time. I'm just gonna do one video today and then I'll try to do another one midweek after we get the CPI number. So, which are some of the things that I'd like to talk about today. So let me share my screen and we can get started. Sorry, it's just me. I might be a little boring without Zuber's comments added in, but I've got quite a bit of things to discuss with you today. First off, my newsletter, if anybody is interested, just send me a note to breakpointtrading at gmail.com. I do it for free. It's just something I do, I've done for my friends and family every Saturday. And then since I've been doing this channel with uh, Zuber, I've shared it with the folks on here as well. There's no charge for it. If you want to be taken off, just send me a note. Be happy to take you off again. Uh, it's breakpointtrading at gmail.com. Uh, this, this is from this week's, you can see the uh, Valentine's Day cartoon up here. What my wife thinks about and what I think about. But let's not tell her that. Um, also, I put in every week what the upcoming week looks like, and this week is going to be very interesting, could be very volatile as well. So we've got the CPI number coming out on Tuesday and the PPI coming out on Thursday. I'm going to talk about that here in a second to see um, what I think we might come in at. You can see last time we were at 6.5%. And the forecast is 6.2%, so a 0.3% drop, which would be positive. And we'll see if that actually happens. It, we, we might have a chance of not even hitting that. We might be a little higher than the 6.2, perhaps lower than 6.5, but it might not hit the forecast. And I'll explain, explain why here in a second. And then uh, sometimes I'll put my conclusions in. It says most of the indicators are suggesting more downside, perhaps a disappointment with the CPI number. Might come in hotter than expected allowing the Fed to continue raising rates. Based on the very hot jobs report, the Fed will likely raise at least once more in March. In general, I think the market wants to go higher, and I'll show you why in a second. If you're a long-term investor, just stay the course. If you're a trader, there might be a chance to get in lower soon. So buy the dip. So we might be having a dip here soon. We'll see what happens Monday. We might have actually have a, an increase on Monday. Interestingly, when I did my video on Wednesday, it didn't get posted till Thursday, but I said Wednesday it looked like the market was going to go down. And then Thursday morning, it exploded to the upside by 300 points. And I'm thinking, boy, that, that didn't look like a very good uh, suggestion. But by the end of the day, it was down 200. So it actually did end the week lower. We'll see if that continues or not. Let me go, let me stick with the slides here for a second. And I'll show you what we have in store here for this coming week that's in between the red points here. This is from Stock Traders Almanac, by the way. So this is just the statistics going back 75 years, 74 years to 1950. 
Uh, this is what the market has typically done in February. You can see that they've also put in the pre-election statistics as well, since we are in a pre-election year. Um, in general, the market usually goes higher than normal in a pre-election pre year, which is positive. The two big things for this week are the CPI report on Tuesday and then options expiration on Friday. And if I get time, I'll talk about that a little bit at the end, but op options expiration week usually can be volatile and sometimes actually operates at the opposite of what has normally been happening. So if the market has been going up, then options ex expiration sometimes goes down because the market makers want those options to expire worthless so that they don't have to pay out the premium. So interestingly, the market seems to go the opposite way of what the options typically go. That's called max pain. It basically provides the maximum pain to, most, to the most amount of traders out there. I'll show you what that means if I have time here at the end. Um, so let me go to the next slide here. So this is important to keep in mind. So Tuesday and Friday are gonna be big days. Here's the CPI, and what I did was I took the last three months and put them together just to give you a sense for what we've looked like the last three months. In December, the previous one was 7.7. .7. The forecast was 7.3, so a 0.4% decline was the forecast. We actually came in at 7.1, so it was a 0.6% decline, so a better than expected CPI number. That was in December. In January, where the where the market really really started taking off in the beginning of January, the projection was another 0.6 decline. So from 7.1, which is where we ended December, the forecast was 6.5. We actually came in at 6.5, which the market liked that. It would have been nicer if it would have been lower than that, but at least it's a, an additional 0.6% decline. So the one coming up on Tuesday, we're starting at 6.5% right here. The forecast is for 6.2. So right off, you can see that it, the forecast is a little lower than it has been the last two months. But we may not even hit that 6.2. We'll see what happens. And I'll show you why in a minute. But that's what it's been looking like for the last few months. And I'll, I'll give you an even better example here when we get to the charts in a second. So as we're looking at this, I wanna talk a little bit about disinflation versus deflation. I talked with Zuber about this a couple of weeks ago and we talked about disinflation versus deflation. This, by, by the way, comes from Investopedia. So I highly recommend that if there's any terms that you wanna understand or you just want an education of things in the market, Investopedia is a great resource to understand what's going on. So disinflation essentially occurs when price inflation slows down temporarily commonly used by the Fed when it wants to describe a period of slowing inflation. And Powell mentioned that last week. He talked about the fact that we are now in a period of disinflation. Uh, that's actually good. That's what, he, that's what he's been trying to achieve, trying to get the, the, mark, the inflation rate to, to start to decline. And that's what disinflation is. Deflation, on the other hand, is a very negative situation where not only are prices not increasing, but they're actually decreasing. So this is when the inflation rate falls below zero. So not only is there low inflation, there's no inflation or negative inflation. The reason that's so bad, and, and it's kind of counterintuitive counter because you would think that you would want lower prices, but what happens with deflation 
is that consumers get used to prices going down, so they put off buying things. So they won't buy anything expecting the price to get lower later on. And since they are no longer buying anything, this is one of the causes of the Great Depression, by the way. Uh, since they're not buying anything expecting the prices to be lower, then companies are not producing. Companies have huge amounts of inventory, which they can't move because no one's buying anything. They lower the prices and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It continues to go down. People wait and don't buy anything, which forces producers to lower their prices and eventually just stop producing things. So that's what happens when we have uh, deflation and actually leads to the depression or a very serious recession. I don't think that's going to happen. That's that's a good example of why the Fed wants 2% inflation. They don't want 0% inflation. They would like to have 2%. They want just enough increase in prices that it doesn't hurt folks. But at the same time, it's um, incenting producers to continue to produce components. This is all in Investopedia if you want to review it. So let's look at the CPI chart. I've showed this in the past, but I've added something here to this one. So this is the CPI going back to just about the beginning of COVID back here in 2020. So you see on the left, when COVID started in February and then the, the economy shut down in April, you can see the CPI number actually went red back here. So CPI was declining. And then as COVID continued, the economy was still closed, but it began to open up slowly. Then inflation started creeping up. So we had a period of very little or no demand. So that's, a, that's an example of disinflation, but heading towards deflation. No demand because people weren't buying anything. But then as the economy started opening up again, everyone went out. They wanted to travel. They wanted to buy things, go to the stores. So they started buying things. However, there was not enough inventory in order to accommodate that. So that what happens then is the prices start to increase. So you can see here from, from this point here in the beginning of 2021, all the way to where, where we are now, we had a significant rise in inflation as prices continued to climb very rapidly. That's the period of inflation right there. You can see right here, this little chart that I put on here, I kind of tried to align this with the, the chart behind it. So June at 9.1% CPI rate, that was the peak. That was peak inflation right there. You can see it up here, even though it's it's continuing to rise, what happens is each time we add a number, which we are going to do on Tuesday, we drop off a number from 12 months ago. So it's a 12 month window of the inflation rate. So when we have the next report, which will be for January, this next line over here, we're going to drop this one over here off. So this increase right here will drop down. If we have a lower increase here, it'll actually, it will actually help quite a bit. Now, I'll show you a chart later on that implies to me that that might not happen. It might not drop. It might be stable. It might be kind of go, go sideways right here, which might still be good because we're dropping a big one off back here. But the next month in February, look at this huge rise right here that's going to drop off in February. And that, I think, is going to have a precipitous decline in the CPI and the inflation rate when that happens. And then we'll go through a couple of months, three months right here, where it's kind of stable. But then this one right here, so four months from now, which is sometime in the beginning of the summer, this one's going to drop off as well. And this, this inflation rate is going to drop off a cliff, I think, over here. 
Now, what you can see down here, and this is a good example of, of inflation versus disinflation, this is declining inflation. So that's what disinflation means. It's not below zero, so it's not deflation, but it's declining inflation. So we went from June, this was the peak, and these are the months after the peak as they continued to go down. 6.5 was the last one. I think this next one might come in right about 6.5. They're forecasting 6.2, but it might actually be higher than a little bit higher than 6.2. This is the monthly rate of change down here. Now, the monthly rate of change can, can vary quite a bit. It can go up and down. Uh, it can be very volatile. That's why the 12-month is a better way to look at it because it smooths things out. But you can see even on the one-month rate of change, inflation is declining significantly. So hopefully that helps to understand some of those terms and what we might be looking at on Tuesday when we get the inflation number. Let me go to the charts and show you what I mean on the number coming in on Tuesday. So this is my CPI, my inflation chart, basically. What you can see down below are all of the rate increases. So starting way back here in February, we're basically at zero. So one year ago, we were essentially at 0% inflation, 0% uh, uh, Fed rate. These are all the rate hikes that the Fed has done. You can see there are four 75 basis point hikes right in through here, and then 50, and the last one was 25. This is the some of, some of the components that make up inflation, not all of them, but I put in some of the key ones just to give you an illustration of what this looks like. Uh, the CRB is made up of these components, agriculture, energy, metals. The CRB and this shaded area here was for last month. This is for January. That's what the next report is going to report on, the shaded area right here. And this is why I, I am a little concerned that we're not going to have the drop-off that they're forecasting. Um, I don't think it's going to be terribly bad, but it might not hit the forecasts. And you can see right here, the CRB, these components basically went sideways. Went down in the beginning of the month, but came back up and basically ended slightly higher than where it began. Gasoline was definitely higher at the end of the month. Oil was just about even. So went down and then back up and then came back down by the end of the month. So oil was just about even, but lumber took off. So lumber had a significant rise. You can see these, all of these kind of drop off a little bit in February, but that's not gonna be until next month. And next month's number, by the way, I think might be a significant decline. But I'm a little concerned about this next one coming up on Tuesday because all of these have gone slightly up or sideways. There hasn't had the same decline that we've had going back through here. You can see the June peak inflation right back here. It's like I showed you on that previous chart. This is the, um, the S&P up here at the top, and the S&P has been hitting these peaks and getting rejected five times through here, through the, through the whole year, until just recently. We finally broke out of this downtrend line. We broke above the 200-day moving average. We broke above 4,100, and we made a new higher high. So we now have a higher low, and we have a higher high. That essentially is the definition of a new uptrend. So I think the downtrend is broken. I think the uptrend is just beginning, but it's not going to go straight up. I said on Wednesday, I expected 
the S&P to trade back to the 21 day moving average, which is right at this blue line right here. It, this was at uh, 40, about 4050. When I said that on Wednesday, it traded down to 4060. And then it went up a little bit on Friday. And we might get a little bounce on Monday as well before that CPI number. Uh, so that's what it looks like. Uh, one other thing to point out, if you haven't noticed already, one year ago when we're at zero, the market was up here. We are lower than that, but all the rate hikes, especially these 475 point rate, hike, rate hikes, were right in through here. We're actually higher than when these rate hikes began. So the market has now become accustomed to, not only accustomed to the rate hikes, they, it kind of became accustomed to it in through this area here, especially when we hit this higher low. But they, the market is now expecting the rate hikes to end. There might be another 25 basis point. I think there probably will be another 25 basis point, but I think that's going to be it. And the market, I think, looks ahead. They're, they're going to expect that looking forward into the future. Market's always six to nine months ahead of the, the economy. So always keep that in mind. So let's look at the next chart. This is very busy. I'm sorry about that, but I, I put a few things on here. This again is the S&P. It shows you those five points where it got rejected. This is where it started to take off again. This is the 21 day. You can see there's a little uptrend right here that we're starting. Uh, we need to get through this neckline, but there, there is a head and shoulders pattern that is formed right here. There's a left shoulder, there's a head, and there's a right shoulder. This is an inverted head and shoulders. And typically the way that you measure this is the distance from the head to the neckline. That's the distance that the target should take it. And coincidentally, the target of this inverse head and shoulders takes us right back to the high from last year, right about 4,800. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. Doesn't mean it will get there. This, this pattern is nothing more than a pattern. Uh, it doesn't mean it's actually going to, to um, execute this way. In fact, if it gets rejected and starts down lower, then the head and shoulders pattern is off the table. But if it gets through this, and especially if it gets through 4,300, which is where two separate Fibonacci levels come together, if it gets through 4,300, then I am pretty confident we're going to take off and maybe hit a new high by the end of the year. So we'll watch that and see what happens. This is a long-term chart. And the reason I wanted to show this is it's a really good example of how the market has changed its personality or changed its direction. You can see through this whole year, which is this whole gray area right here, the whole year we pretty much follow this downtrend line. We hit it every time we come up to a peak and it's, it's hit it almost perfectly each time. Until we got here, it did get rejected right there. But at this point, we put in a, a higher low and now a higher high, and we are now following an uptrend instead of this downtrend. So that's what I meant by the downtrend is broken and the uptrend looks like it's just beginning, just starting to take off again. Here's a closer view of the S&P and it's actually a 65 minute, so basically a one hour chart. So this shows you, you know, going back uh, about a week, shows you what it looks like over the last week. In general, the mar market has slowly climbed higher, but ever since uh, February 2nd, beginning of February, basically, this, this goes back to January 11th. So ever since 
February 2nd or 3rd, the market has been trending lower. It does look like it wants to go higher on Monday. So that's why I mentioned that we might get uh, a little rally on Monday because it looks like it's it looks like it wants to go higher Monday. So we'll see what happens. And then we have the CPI report on Tuesday. Now remember, if the CPI report does come in at forecast or even better than forecast, which is always possible, then the market is probably going to explode if that happens. It's going to go much higher. But here's my trusty VIX chart that I always like to look at to see what the sentiment in the market is. The VIX is the volatility index. It basically measures the fear in the market. When the VIX goes up, the market does the opposite. So if the VIX is going up, the market is going down and vice versa. If the, if the VIX is going down, typically the market is going up. So I arranged this using a five-day and a 21-day moving average. And I color-coded it so that when the VIX is going up, it's in red, that means the market's going down. So this is in red, that's not good for the market. If it's in green, which it has been ever since October, then that's good for the market. You can see it's, it started green right here and the market in general has been going higher. But look what's happened just this last week. Just in the last week, the VIX just started to go red again. So this is a little concerning for me. Again, we're right at the 21 day moving average. If we break through it, we are likely going to come down to around the 4,000 area, but I don't think we're going to go back to a new low. The low was back here in October. I think that is the low for the year. Um, by the way, October is called a bear killer. Seven of the last 14 bear markets have ended in October. If this one holds, right now it's six out of 14, but if this holds, then seven out of 14 bear markets have ended in October. So I think in general, we're trending higher, but we may have a period in the next week or two where potentially we could go a little bit lower, which might be an opportunity to buy the dip. The other thing that's forcing the market down is that the 10-year um, treasury yield is going up. And this is, again, is one of the warning signs for me that the CPI number may not come in as well as people are expecting because the 10-year treasury is starting to move up again, it's above 3.5%, then that might be a, an advanced warning or a, chair, a canary in the coal mine that the CPI number might come in hotter than expected, which means the Fed is gonna continue raising rates and 10-year treasury might continue to go up. And that's not good for growth stocks, not good for, um, for the market in general. And I'll talk about that at the end, we can get there. The next chart here is the long-term. I just wanna show this briefly, but I was asked one time, how, how will I know? I've always said that we are in a secular bull market, which means secular bulls, there's only been three secular bear markets in the last 100 years. And the last one ended either in 2009, which was the bottom or 2013, which is where it broke out of the last high, the last peak. This is the technically the correct place to put it, 2013 but it's really been rising since 2009. So I've been saying that we are in a secular bull market. Secular bulls typically last 18 to 20 years. That should take us to anywhere between 2029 and 2033, which means this market should continue higher, which means we, were, we will probably take out the previous high at 4,800 
and probably go much higher than that. But I was asked one time, how will I know if that's not the case, if maybe we are not in a secular bull anymore? What if we are back into a secular bear market? How will I know if that's the case? Well, these are the three indicators that I look at. And this is a monthly chart, so it's a long-term chart. And I'll look at the RSI up here. You can see ever since that 2009 low, this has never gone below 40. It's come down close to it. We've had a, a few little corrections in here. 2015 and 16, 2018, we had a big sell-off. The COVID crash, of course, and then this last one. But in each case, it never went below 40. The PPO, which is a momentum indicator, once it goes above the zero line right here, then that's positive momentum, which means the market is, the momentum of the market is up. So it did that here in about 2011 and has never passed back below zero. So I'm looking at that, watching that very closely. It started to come down here with this last bear market, started to move down, but it never went below zero. And you can see it's starting to curl back up now. And then the last one is the basically the 50 month or four year moving average, which is this red line down here. So again, ever since that 2009 low, it finally broke out above that red line. And every time it's come back down right to it, it bounces back up again, comes down to it, comes down to it here in 2018, went below it in um, during COVID, but it never closed below it. So it closed above it, never went below. And then we came very close again here in October when we hit the October low, but again, never closed below it. So those are the three things that I'll be looking at. We'll, we'll look at this from time to time to see where we are. But right now it looks like it's starting to head back higher. So I think we are still in a secular bull market. So let's look at the uh, sectors for last week. And I've got about 10 minutes left here. Um, sectors for last week. So this is the intraday look, and this is very telling. You can see the S&P right here. So I wanna, I wanna understand based on Friday, this is just Friday's uh, view. Based on Friday, anything above the S&P line outperformed the S&P and anything below it underperformed. So what we find below it, besides real estate, real estate is typically a defensive sector, but the other three are really important. These are the aggressive sectors. So technology, communication services, which are the internet stocks, Google, Meta, stocks like that, which have been doing very well in January, and they usually do well in January. Consumer discretionary, discretionary things, things that we want to buy, not necessarily things that we have to buy. Those are the three aggressive sectors. Those are the ones that you wanna see lead the market higher. On Friday, they were all underperforming. The ones that overperformed or outperformed are energy, which has done really well for the past year and up until recently, it started to decline. Utilities, which is the, the most defensive sector, healthcare and consumer staples. So these are all defensive sectors that did not perform well on Friday. So that's not good for the market. If you look back over one week, here's what it looks like over the last week. So again, we have consumer discretionary and communications underperforming. Um, Technology barely outperformed, just barely. So technology right here was up 
1.39% or 0.9% change, minus 0.9, and the general market was 1.1. So just barely outperformed the S&P. But again, the defensive sectors for the whole week started to outperform, which indicates the market wants to trend lower, at least temporarily. So interestingly, I showed this last week as well. This is the uh, relative rotation graph. So this shows you the rotation of all of these sectors. And this is as of Friday. It's a daily view. So the, the tails on these, you can make these tails any, any length that you want to make them longer or shorter. Um, that's a seven day, so that's a one week tail. If it's to the far right, that is relative strength. And if it's in the upper portion up here, that's momentum. So the far upper right-hand corner is the, the highest momentum and the highest relative strength. So you can see the, the aggressive sectors are still mostly up there. Technology and discretionary are still in the leading quadrant. However, communications has fallen out of it, but all of these are rotating back to the left, which means they're losing momentum. The other ones like energy in particular, that I wanna look at, energy is starting to gain momentum even though it's still in the lagging sector, starting to gain momentum and move up. And one thing that's kind of cool about this, not that it has much use, but it's cool to watch it. You can, this is a three month period right now. I can animate this and it will actually show me all of these sectors moving up to the leading quadrant, back down and back up again. So I like to look at this from time to time just to see where these sectors are currently and how they look in re relative to each other. How are they performing? So I can see here that especially healthcare and staples, utilities, these are starting to rotate up, which is not good for, for the market in general. One thing that you can do is you can, on uh, stock charts, you can come back here and look at the sector summary. If you wanna find stocks, so you can see here energy is number one, and this is an intraday view. I can look at it over one week and energy is still number one for the week. Actually, it's the only one that outperformed. I can look at energy, and these are all the industries inside of energy, and exploration production looks like it's the best one. And if I click on that, it will show me all of the stocks in the energy sector. So in that particular industry, and there's one right here, it's near the top. So I can actually click on that and look at the chart for that particular one. And you can see here, it's just starting to take off. Had a really good day Friday. So energy might be making a comeback here. If uh, for those that are short-term traders, have been in energy uh, last year, which did really well, but then started to taper off, it looks like it might be making a comeback. So something you might wanna take a look at. Finally, in the last few minutes we have left, I wanna talk about um, Max Payne. So I put this in my newsletter and let me, just before I end, I wanna go back to my newsletter for those that are interested. If you'd like to join, just send me a note to breakpointtrading at gmail.com and I'll add you to the list and you'll get it each week. Um, and you'll, I'll show you basically what the newsletter looks like. This, is, this actually is my newsletter. So it's got a lot of the things that I just talked about are in here. It's got some cartoons. Um, it's got, some things from VectorVest to show you what VectorVest is looking at. Uh, they're, they're looking at uh, potentially a pullback as well. 
So prudent investors should not buy stocks at this time. Aggressive investors should play the market to the downside. So all of this is really good information. But the key thing that I want to look at is breakpoint uh, earnings beats each month will do what they call max pain. Max pain essentially is the equilibrium point at which the options for puts and calls are equal. So if all the all of the traders out there that buy puts and all the traders that buy calls, this comes from the CBOE. Uh, they say right here, Max Payne is not a guarantee. It's intended to be used solely for directional clues. All values below are computed using data from the CBOE. So what they do is they take all the data, they look at all the puts and all the calls, and they compare them and find the point at which they are equal. And sometimes when they are equal, it's negative, which means there are more puts than there are calls, which means that in general, the market ten tendency is to go lower. Or sometimes there are more calls than there are puts, and then these would be positive. For the market makers, when options expiration comes around, which is next Friday, the, the market makers are the ones that have to pay out those premiums. What they would like is for those premiums to expire worthless. And in order for them to expire worthless, they want this equilibrium to be reached. In other words, they want, they want the market to go, if this is a negative, they want the market to go up so that all of these puts that people are buying because they think the market's going down will expire worthless. So the market makers don't have to pay out those premiums. And it's amazing how close this comes. Now, it will never hit the actual number. So you can see here for Tesla, the max pain number or very rarely hit the actual number. The max pain number is 158 or 159 for Tesla. That means that's the equilibrium point. It's a 19% sell-off in order to get to the point where puts and calls are equal. Right now, there are actually there are more puts than there are calls. So uh, I'm sorry, there are more calls than there are puts. So Max Payne actually would push the price down to 158 so that all of those calls expire worthless. Meta would go to 131, NVIDIA to 186, et cetera. Now, again, it would rarely ever actually gets to that number, but the important thing to think, to think about with Max Payne is the direction. And in general, the overall market direction, and this is the one that I look at the most, is just the market itself. Between now and next Friday, market makers would like for the market to go down. They'd like for the, the NASDAQ to go down by 4%, and they'd like for the S&P to go down by 2%, so that they don't have to pay out $630 million in premium or $615 million in premium for the uh, S&P. That's a brief explanation of Max Payne. I hope, uh, I know it's a little complicated, but it's interesting, um, especially interesting to, to look at the ones that have very high numbers here, like Meta has a 25%. So Meta is one that the market makers might be very aggressive with and actually try to push that down because it's had a big run up. And that's why the, the number is negative. There are positive numbers as well on this Max Payne report. I did not put those in because the general tendency for next week is for the market to decline by four or negative 2%. Anyway, that's uh, that's what I've got for this week. I hope that was helpful, useful, interesting at least. 
Um, if you guys have any questions that are getting my newsletter, uh, send me a note. I'd be happy. I do get notes from folks from time to time asking questions or asking about something in particular, and I'd be glad to help folks out if I have time. Uh, if you want to receive it, the uh, email again is breakpointtrading at gmail.com. Hope you have a great week trading, and uh, we're looking forward to Zuber coming back probably in about two weeks. So enjoy the week and happy Valentine's Day for everyone. Thanks.